born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. You see, there was a castle there in Caesarea that was built by Herod one of his many palaces. He also had one on the mountaintop in Masada. I've been up on the top of Masada. I mean, here's been to Masada. Oh, there's a bunch of you. Years ago, I ran up Masada. I did it twice. And I remember Hank telling me, he says, Yankee, don't do that. I says, yeah, but I come from Colorado. I says, the heat don't bother me and the height don't bother me. He says, don't do it. We can't wait on you at the top of the hill because we're going to get on this thing and we're going to ride up there and then we'll have to wait on you. And then you're going to throw us off on our schedule. I says, Hank, I'll meet you at the top. (laughs) I took off. I just couldn't stand it. And anyway, I got up there when the cart got there. And um, the next year I was a little bit slower. Now I don't even run up it at all. Now I don't even walk up it anymore. Now I ride the cart. But anyway, he said, they brought him into the castle. Now, Paul knew he's in a heap of trouble. And who knows how much he might have been hurt. Because it says if they had not intervened, they were going to rip him apart. Can you imagine what that would be like for somebody to be pulling on your arms and your legs and they're trying to pull you apart? The Bible said that. Now, I didn't make this up. It must have been bad. But look what he says. Everybody needs a little of encouragement along the way. And the night following, the Lord stood by him. The Lord stood by him. You know, a lot of times you go through a lot of things and nobody stands with you. As we know, Paul is all alone. Did you ever think as you serve the Lord, wouldn't it be neat if you had a lot of people serving the Lord together? After I trusted Christ as my Savior there in Athens, Georgia, I used to think, there's nobody my age. There's nobody my age. I went to the church and they were all older. And I wished that I had somebody my age. And then, lo and behold, there was two other young couples that came. And one was John Freeman and the other one was Bill Fancher. And they had just got saved and just got married, and there we were. So we became friends. Because after I trusted Christ as my Savior, the ones that I run around with in the Parkview apartment, they dropped me like a hot potato. See, I didn't have to quit my friends. They quit me. Because I wanted to serve the Lord, and I didn't have anybody like that. And so there is a great joy 
and strength when you have other people who think and feel the same way you do. And I wondered about Paul. He says in one place, he says, all have forsook me. All have forsook me. But in verse 11, the Lord came to him at night, stood by him and said, be of good cheer. Paul, be of good cheer. You know, there's another portion of scripture that talks about be of good cheer, for I am with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Sometimes you need to understand, if you're doing what you believe God wants you to do, be of good cheer. It doesn't matter about the circumstances. It doesn't matter where people stand or fall. It's just, do you really have your confidence in the Lord? And sometimes you may not see how you're going to do what God wants you to do and how it's going to come out. Just be of good cheer. You are with the Lord. The Lord stood by Paul, stood by him. And he says, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. So the Lord says that evidently all this was happening. We don't have all the words that were said and done. Paul did witness and Paul did testify. And then he says, you are also going to witness in Rome. So if he was in Jerusalem and he was going to Rome... That would mean you're not going to die. They're not going to kill you, Paul. Be of good cheer. So does that mean that nobody was going to kill him or try? Oh, they tried. And there were some things here that was mentioned. So here you have where God guarantees he's going to Rome. And that you're going to be able to stand against every man. But as he was a prisoner here, he would be a prisoner in Rome. Look there in verse 12. So now we know that he is going to be under house arrest. Verse 12, and when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Don't that sound exciting? Don't that just sound exciting? This is like an Indiana Jones movie, isn't it? When you see what God's man went through. So he says here, and I need you to understand that God stood with Paul. And God told Paul. And while that was going on, others had gotten together and took an oath Bound themselves under a curse. Under a curse. It didn't say under a blessing. Under a curse means that we are willing to die, go to hell, be cursed by God if we don't keep our word. I wonder what happened to those birds. See, it didn't matter how many people was against Paul. Paul had the Lord. And a lot of times in life, it doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter what people say and do. Is are you standing with the Lord and you know God is standing with you? I think it's exciting. But for them to make this, to be cursed by God if they fail, I got news for you. They did. But they had a plan. There was a plan. Look in verse 13. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. Forty people swore an oath 
and verse 14, these agreed with the plan. And they came to the chief priests and the elders, and it says, we have a plan. We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now, therefore, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. So they had a plan. Y'all call and let the chief captain know that they wanted to ask Paul a few more questions, you know, just to be able to make a better decision. Isn't that wonderful? And then when he does, we're going to get him. But just as a coincidence, I mean, no plan, nobody knew, but lo and behold, Paul had a nephew. Paul had a nephew who just happened to hear the plan. Just a coincidence. Or do you think there's a God in heaven that knows how to work things? Look at this. In verse 16, and when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and says, Paul, the prisoner, call me unto him and prayed me or to ask me to bring this young man unto thee who have something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, what is that that thou hast to tell me? And he says, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down. Paul, tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. Isn't this exciting? This is a, like a murder mystery. This is better than murder, she wrote. This is better than Perry Mason. I mean, when you read and you kind of visualize what's going on and how the Lord just happens to have a young boy there who just happens to be Paul's nephew, just a coincidence? I don't believe so. I believe that there's a God in heaven that when he says, I will stand with you, it's God who's doing the planning also. God has a plan. See, the devil's got a plan. The devil wants to destroy you and me. But the Lord, he also has a plan. It all depends on which one do you want. If I want God's plan for me, God's plan, it shall be. And to believe that. Now look in verse 23. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea. And horsemen, threescore and ten. That's seventy. And spearmen, two hundred. That's another two hundred. That's four hundred and seventy Roman legionnaires. That's a whole bunch. 
She, they were going to leave at nighttime, about 9 o'clock at night. And the, the Romans were greatly hated by the Jewish people. Not long before this, one of them had uh, killed an awful lot of Romans. And they uh, went out and, anyway, a whole bunch of them died. So they had to have a lot of people for protection. All 470 people for one little bitty Jew to protect him. Why? Because they were going to take him to a place called Caesarea. And that was only about 70 miles away. And so the chief captain is going to take him there. So if he's going to take him there, that means that those who had all these accusations against Paul, they have to travel all that way to appear in court there. Do you think they did? They did. I mean, they, they came. But anyway, so easy to get ahead of myself sometimes. I get excited just reading some of the stuff. But look what it says in verse 24. And provide the beast that they may set Paul on. Even gave him a free ride. Bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this man. So here he writes a letter. Look now, this chief priest, he was a Roman. He had bound Paul. A no-no. Could get in trouble. So now he tells them how he saved the day. How great he was. How that he delivered Paul. How he protected Paul. And probably was hoping Paul wouldn't forget. In verse 26, Claudius, Lysias, Unto the most excellent governor Felix sendeth greetings. This man was taken of the Jews, should have been killed of them. Then came I, as a knight in shining armor, with an army, and rescued him, having understood he was a Roman. Now, you know, you go back there to Acts chapter 22, <laughs> and uh, it talks about, his problem. He, he didn't know it at the time. But anyway, he's covering himself. Because he knows he's appealed unto Caesar. Anyway, a, a little I read in between the lines. But it's okay. It doesn't hurt the scriptures. But I got to imagine a little bit. So he says, I rescued him and have understood he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause, therefore, they accused him, I brought him forth into their council. When I perceived to be accused of question of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge, worthy of death or of bonds, and when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee, what they had against him, farewell. He's a good guy now, right? Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. On the morrow, they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle. Who, When they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter... He asked of what province he was, and when he understood that he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall, or 
in the palace. Remember when God first talked to Paul? Uh, just look at this. In the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Where it makes the statement of what God was going to do with this man. You see there in verse 14 of Acts chapter 9. And here he hath authority from all the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles. Did he? And the kings, and did he? And the children of Israel, did he? For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Did he? See, God already knew what he wanted Paul to do. He already knew what the people were going to do. And he says, Paul, be of good cheer. I am with you. You are going to also testify in Rome. So we don't know what all was said and done. I'd love to be able to have all the little things that were said. Wouldn't that have been neat to have? But we don't have all of that. We have enough to let us know that if you serve the Lord, you're going to be persecuted. And you're going to have people that will like you and hate you. Even if you don't do anything wrong, it won't matter. I've been a preacher for over 40 years. You know, I have people all over this country that love me to death. I do. And I got people that hate me. And I don't know one thing I've ever done wrong to anybody. And that's the truth. And then before God, my mind, my conscience being clear, I raised my right hand. That I believe I'm telling you the truth. I try my dead level best not to hurt anybody, not to offend anyone. But if I do, it's because of, you know, the, the truth that I'm presenting. doesn't mean that what I said was wrong. Sometimes the way I may do it may not be the best. But that's the human part of me. Are you human? Do you still have an old sinful nature? But you've got to understand, and this is why you'll hear some people say, if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Another one is one that Dr. Stanford always used. He says, if you don't like my apples, don't shake my tree. If you don't like my apples, don't shake my tree. In other words, leave me alone. There's a lot of trees. But if you're going to serve the Lord, there's a price to pay for doing right. And it doesn't matter if it's the preacher or the apostle or the person that sits on the pew. There's a price to pay. And if you will live godly in your home, doesn't mean that everybody in your home is going to love you for doing so. Standing for truth, walking with God, is divisive. And it will bring you all kinds of criticism. Everything you say and everything that you do can be twisted and changed into something ugly. And you may mean it with the purest of heart and your conscience clean and clear between you and God. And yet people may not accept it that way. If they will do that to Paul, is it possible 
they may do that to you. It can. Anyway, I enjoyed the book of Acts. Now, let me show you something. Most of you have never seen this before. But watch now very closely. At no time will this hand ever leave my wrist. I want you to watch. Verify that this is true. This is you and me. And letter the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. And the Bible says we have all sinned. You say, well, what is sin? Well, whatever it is, you did it. Because God says all of us have. But whatever it is, it's rebellion to God. It's disobedience. It's transgressing the law. It's not fulfilling the law. It's not being perfect. So God has his perfect law. You want to live with him? Just be perfect. Nobody's perfect. So the law condemns everybody because all have sinned. And the wages of sin is is death. So we all have to die. That's why everybody born, everybody dies. You see, Christ didn't have to die because, you see, he didn't have a sinful nature. He never did anything wrong. But we've all sinned, so we're all condemned. And to be eternally separated from God in a literal fire burning hell. So you don't need a Savior to keep you from going to a place if it don't exist. So God says he loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, no sin. And nobody's perfect. Nobody qualifies. So God says, by your works, you cannot improve your situation. You're already condemned. So doing good deeds will not take away your bad deeds. This requires death. If there's only one sin over here, all your good works of all of your life can't take away that one sin. You still got to die. Still got to pay for it. You're still going to go to hell. But God loves us. And he says, you cannot pay for your sins by good works. You need a savior. We can't save ourselves. And the law puts us in this condition so that we can see that no man is righteous. The law points you to Christ. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh came into the world. He has no sin, doesn't have to die. But he loves us, hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. He took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And he says, the only thing you and I have to do, believe that he did it for us. Why did he do this? Because he didn't want you to do this. He did it for you. He paid for your sins because he didn't want you to pay for your sins. And the Bible says that Christ died for our sins before we were ever born. He did it 2,000 years ago. So if he paid for our sins 2,000 years ago, how many of our sins did he pay for? All of them before we were ever born. So that means past, present, future. He's already paid for every sin that I'll ever commit in my whole life. And he did the same thing for you, for the whole world. And... The only thing he wanted us to do when he came back from the dead is this. Will you believe I did that for you? So when you believe he did it for you, you're not going to try to earn your way to heaven. Why? Because you know you're already going. See, people are trying to earn their way to heaven by their good life. It means they're not trusting in what he did. They're going to trust in what they do. I know I'm going to heaven because of what he said and because of what he did. What he did was he paid for all my sins. And what he said was, if I'd believe it, I'd have eternal life. So when I trusted Christ as my Savior, God gave me as a free gift everlasting life. If it's everlasting life, how long would it last? 
If it lasts forever and all my sins are paid, where am I going when I die? Can I know I'm going to heaven before I die? Of course. I know I'm going to heaven. You know, most people, they don't know that. They think it's because of how they live. How you live cannot determine your destination. And it's a shame that people can't see it. But it says many are on the road, the broad road that leads to destruction. And the narrow, few people see this. Because they're still trying to earn their way by how they live. And thinking, well, I know she's not saved because, you know, if she was saved, she wouldn't do that. No, you don't get it. A person can trust Christ as Savior and not obey the Lord. Now look up here. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, if you do it today, you become a child of God. And as a child of God, you've got a choice. You can be an obedient child or a disobedient child, but you're still his child. I've got three children, the hard way, one wife. When those kids are born into my family, when they're good, they're mine, and when they're bad, they're Betty's. <laughs> no, they're still ours. But they can be obedient or disobedient. God said, if I'm obedient, he'll bless my life here, and he'll reward me when I get to heaven. But if I'm disobedient, he's going to have to chasten me, maybe discipline me, or take me home if, for my time. But I'm still his child. So in my Christian life, I decided I would rather have God bless my life than to whoop me. So I want to be an obedient child of God. But see, I'm not doing this to be a child of God. I'm not doing this to get to heaven. I'm doing it because I'm going to heaven. I am his child. And I would rather have his blessings than his whoopings. Doesn't that make sense? But I'm not trying to do it to get to heaven. See, if you're doing it to try to get to heaven, you ain't going. You're not saved until you trust Christ and him alone as your only hope of going to heaven. You're saved by faith, not by your works. One work annuls grace. One work. You depend upon one work to get you to heaven. It annuls grace. Because grace is the absence of work. It, look, if I offered you this year book and you accept it, what would you have? If I offered you this microphone and you accept it, what would you have? Microphone. If I offered you my wallet and you accept it, what would you have? Empty wallet. We're going to take up another collection in a minute. If Christ walked across here and he offered you eternal life and you accept it, what would you have? Eternal life. And if it's eternal life and it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, where are you going? Going to heaven. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. If you are here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you put your trust in him? I hope because of the things that we've said, what we've shared, you understand you cannot save yourself. The preacher can't save you. The church can't save you. All of your good works will not help. Would you put your trust in Christ? He died for you because he loved you. He paid for all of your sins so that you wouldn't have to. And all he wanted you to do is, would you believe he did it for you? And by you believing that, he gives that payment that he made, he gives it to you. You have a payment for your sins. You go to heaven whenever you die. There's no tricks to it, no gimmicks. I'm not going to pin you against the wall, but I am going to ask you in just a moment. To raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to try to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, you say, Preacher, that made sense to me. And I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior right now. And if you're making that decision, I'd like to know and I'd like to have prayer for you. And I'm going to ask you if you'll just slip it up very quickly, put it right back down. And say, Preacher, that made sense. I will trust Christ as my Savior. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? Just slip it up, put it right back down. 
If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you have something to share with somebody else. You've got some good news, best news in all the world. Father, we thank you so much. You've been good to us. You've met our needs. you brought us together. We just pray, Lord, your will to be done. Guard our minds as we think upon the things that you have to say to us so that we can be the way you want us to be. Help us to love each other as we should. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Is it possible to trust Christ as my Savior without making Him Lord of my life? Is it true that if Christ is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book. Or write by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.